And over these recent weeks, we've been looking at, at how it is that Jesus invites us to journey with him. We've seen how in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus rose from the dead, um, Jesus Christ, he, he didn't announce these uh, truths, his resurrection reality in the ways that we might expect. For Jesus, it wasn't a matter of taking out press statements or full-page ad in the press. or It wasn't a matter of doing interviews or going on chat shows. This is not how the, 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 the celebration of the life of Jesus comes about. No, he goes to his friends, largely unremarkable people, folks who would be considered unreliable witnesses, yet he goes to them. Because the truth of the matter is, the life of Jesus, resurrection life, is something that is passed on in relationship. It's something that is received by those who are in relationship with God. This isn't something you read about in the paper and pass a test to enter into. No, you connect with Jesus. And so in Luke 24, we find Jesus walking along the road with a couple of his friends. They're lost and and lonely. They're confused and they're hurting because they haven't understood what is happening with Jesus. The one that they had put all of their hope in, all of their trust in, they'd seen him be crucified on a cross. How can there be hope anymore when the one who seemed so good, so full of love and so full of life has been put to death and laid in a cold tomb? And yet there they are walking along this road and and Jesus, risen from the grave, comes alongside them. They don't really appreciate who it is. And they start to pour out their heart of hurt. And they're pouring out their confusion. And Jesus starts to unpack the scriptures. And he teaches them right from the very beginning everything that the Bible has to say about him. How he would have to come, God become man, to rescue the rest of us. And how God would do this. And all all the prophecies and all the teachings of the Bible, they come together in the person and the work of Jesus. And he unpacks this for them in speaking with them. Jesus is so gracious that he wants to talk with people who want to be his friends. I don't know whether you've ever realized, but tonight that can include you and it can include me. Jesus wants to talk with you. Not in the manner of a lecture or any other form, but Jesus simply wants to come alongside you. Do you want to be a friend of Jesus? Do you want to walk with him? Because if you do, he'll talk with you, as a person will with a friend. He'll unpack the very meaning of life with you, and he'll bring you the the hope and the encouragement and the possibility that you've been yearning for. That's what he did on that road. And that's what Jesus does any time people are willing to listen to him. Do you know, Jesus is so good that when they hung him on a cross, brutally hurting him and causing him to come to his death, still, Jesus spoke life. There are seven sayings of Jesus from the cross. Over recent weeks, we've been unpacking these sayings, words of forgiveness and of salvation, of relationship, but then words that were of the agony of Christ Jesus, words of abandonment, words of, uh, of, of his natural need, of his thirst in that moment, and then the words of completion, of the fulfillment of his work, and the words of reunion with his Father in heaven, how he was able to give up his spirit and Jesus wants to speak life to us life to us in approaching the cross life to us from the cross life to us as we journey from the cross into resurrection with him and tonight I wanted to spend a moment or two talking with you about the word that Jesus would speak to us for our journey 
with him. I wonder, and you know, we've talked about these things over recent weeks, but it might occur to us, are we just reading too much into what Jesus is saying from the cross? You know, when Jesus says, I'm thirsty, maybe we should, you know, what does it matter? Maybe he's just thirsty. Let's move on. What does it matter that Jesus said things to us from the cross? Everybody says things. When they're hurting, when they're coming to the end of their life, everybody has last words, don't they? You heard any of the famous last words of people? Some of them are profound and moving and some of them are meaningful. I was, I was reading about this this week and I was reading about you know, Marie Antoinette as she was going to the guillotine. She, she was going to be killed and she trod on her executioner's foot. And so her last words were, I'm very sorry I didn't mean to do it. That's not very profound, is it? You know, she trod on someone's foot and she said, I'm really sorry. Those were her last recorded words. I bet if she thought, thought about it, she would have wanted something else. Um, what is it that they put, was it Spike Milligan had on his tombstone when he died? He said, put this on my tombstone, I told you I was ill. Um, profound last words. Not really, are they? They're, they're, you know, they're kind of funny, but they're not very meaning or moving. Why on earth is it that we ascribe such meaning to the things that Jesus says? Well, can I tell you, the journey that Jesus invites you into you know, we need to remind ourselves about what it is he's inviting us into. How, how powerful and how profound it is what Jesus is inviting us into. What he has done for you and for me. What he's done for all mankind and all creation. You know, the truth of the matter is Jesus has taken what is hurting and broken and utterly doomed and he's restored it to all of its beauty. You're intended to bear forth the glory of God himself within this world. You know, you, I don't know why it is that you know, people may tell you that you're special or not special. But here's the truth of it. You're incredibly special because God has created you in his image. And he's intended for you to shine with all the wonder of that. But when Jesus speaks to us from the cross, when Jesus speaks to us, inviting us into his way, he's saying to you, be what you were made to be. And this is not some fluffy kind of follow your dreams kind of moments. This is the truth of becoming who God made us to be. And the Bible teaches us that actually that when we come through the, the, the life that Jesus Christ offers, we, we become, as it were, a new order of beings. Christians, if you're a Christian in this place, you've probably never allowed yourself to think about this possibility. You probably look at yourself in the mirror and you think, well, if I'm a new order of created being, then I'm not entirely sure that this is all it's cracked up to be. You know, we look at ourselves and we look at our faults and our failings, don't we? We look at all our mess-ups and our moments and we think, ugh, what, me? But can I tell you, come on, look at Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, you are a new created order. God says over you, you are sons and daughters of the King. He says that you are an incredible chosen people. He says that you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. He says that you belong to him. And all of this has been opened to you through Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to keep going for hours tonight until one of you cracks a smile. Because Jesus has moved you from death to life. And this is good news. It's incredibly good news. And we need reminding of these things because we live two ordinary lives considering we are extraordinary people. You are extraordinary people. Why would you live an ordinary life? Why would you permit this for yourself? Why would you trample yourself underfoot of your own limited expectation? God has incredible expectation for your lives. He does. He thinks what he has begun in your life is profound and glorious and he wants to bring it to completion. Do you trust him that he's good enough to do this? Come on, I know you had a really sucky week, but God is still glorious. Come on, I know that you messed up, but God is still glorious. Come on, I know that your hair doesn't look great today, but God is still glorious. Some of you, your hair does look great. I just want to point that out. I'm not going to tell you which is which, obviously. Come on. We live as though we're natural people. You're not natural people. You're supernatural. You've been made so by the author of life. Come on, he has great things for you. Remind yourself why the words of Jesus are important because if you're just relying on him for five ways to live a happier life, then you've missed the whole point. Jesus Christ speaks life. And without it, you can have five or 500 ways. You'll still be dead. But with Jesus, you can be fully alive. Fully alive. Where's your understanding of what you've received in Jesus? What you've received in Jesus. There's a story that crops up in all four of the Gospels. In three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, it comes quite close to the end of the story of Jesus. It's quite close in some of its detail to the time that Jesus would be betrayed and and arrested and and taken to be crucified. In Luke's Gospel, um, the story, or at least a story that sounds very similar to it, comes a little earlier on in the way that Luke tells things in chapter 7 of Luke's gospel and uh, from verse 36 of that chapter we find Jesus and he's having dinner with some Pharisees Jesus liked to go and eat with people I love Jesus I like to eat with people I believe this is something that Jesus has done in my life for which I am grateful And he goes and he eats with these people. And Luke takes up the story and he says that there's a woman of the city who was a sinner. It's a funny thing to say about a person because the Bible's teaching is that everybody's a sinner. Um, So if this person is being particularly highlighted as a sinner, then we've got to assume that, wow, they've been really good at being a sinner. If you can be good at being a sinner, I mean, they've been really bad at being a sinner. I don't know how you put it. But if Luke chooses to highlight that this person is a sinner, even though everybody's a sinner, then we're realizing that, you know, this is not good. But then this lady, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You know, notice something here. Luke, the writer of this gospel story, he says something about this woman. He says, she was a sinner. 
this Pharisee fails to realize that he is a sinner and labels this woman and says she is a sinner. Truth of the matter is, everybody is a sinner. But when we come to Jesus, that becomes past tense. And this Pharisee has failed to realize that that is what has happened in the experience of this woman. And he's starting to elevate himself over this lady. But Jesus, even though this Pharisee says this to himself, Jesus knows him, knows what's going on in him. And he answers to him and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. I don't know what he was expecting, but probably not this. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50 When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 500 owed, 50 owed. Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. It's to wash them. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What's your understanding of what you received? You know, this woman, she's identified by Luke as a woman who was a sinner. And and here profoundly, there's going to be this powerful moment of forgiveness for her. It's going to be transformative. You know, it's similar to the stories in the other Gospels where the anointing of Jesus is tied to his, his death and what would be happening later in his life. But here something else is being taught through this particular story. This Pharisee, this teacher of the law, keeper of the law, don't forget that. Um, he doesn't consider himself to be a sinner and doesn't understand it, and so doesn't really appreciate who Jesus is and who Jesus is to him. But this lady who was a sinner is going to be forgiven profoundly, powerfully, appreciates Jesus. I don't know all of your stories, but I think sometimes when we come to Jesus and I don't know, maybe our lives They don't seem too messed up or too broken on the surface of things. You know, maybe we can sustain good jobs, achieve good things. Maybe we've got nice relationships, good families, nice home, all these kinds of things. We may receive Jesus and his love into our lives. If we're not careful, we convince ourselves that it was not much that happened. I remember as I grew up in the church... You know, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. It was when I was five years old, would you believe, that I first decided to follow Jesus. I have no idea what I knew when I was five years old, not very much. But I knew this, that the people around me, particularly my parents, seemed to love Jesus and he seemed to love them and I trusted them and I believed that it was true and so I thought, I'll follow this Jesus. It took me a great while to really understand what I'd let myself in for, but there you go. 
You fool yourself into thinking that because you grew up in such a manner, you don't have much of a story, not much of a testimony. You hear sometimes stories of people and they share their story of how they've come to faith in Jesus. And, you know, maybe there's, you know, been some kind of dramatic moment of everything falling apart in their life. Or maybe it's a story of, of criminality or a story of, of addiction and brokenness or, or other such stories. And you hear these things and you can say, ah, yes, I can see how they would appreciate that God had done something remarkable in their lives. Stories for folks of extravagant brokenness. I know some of you here this evening have such stories. They've actually been, in this one sense, a gift for you to appreciate exactly what Jesus has done for you. I had a kind of a realization not too long ago that I don't have such a story. Um, And so it's taken me an awful lot longer to come to the same realization. I don't have that story of extravagant brokenness. I've got a story that didn't look like that. So it's taken me a lot longer. Spiritually, it's made me a bit more stupid. But God has helped me. Because he's helped me to realize I was just as broken. And I needed his salvation just as much. I don't know what your story is tonight, whether it was a story of extravagant brokenness that helped you to appreciate the extravagant grace of God, or whether you've come to Jesus and you seemed okay, and so it's probably taken you a lot longer to realize that you weren't. Don't fool yourself. People like me, you know, when we get to these, I'm a slow learner, I'm a a slow developer. I am. You know, I. I'm not the kind of person like this lady who goes in with a jar of alabaster and breaks it and pours the perfume. I'm not that kind of person. I'm the kind of person who's probably sat a little, you know, three along. And then four days later, I'm like, oh yeah, that was really good. I wish I'd done that. Takes me a while to get there. But come on, don't fool yourself that you you don't need to get there. Come on, I I don't really care what your life looks like. I don't care how put together you seem to be. You need to get there. Because we're all wretched and ruined apart from Jesus. Until we get to the point where we realize that we need to take the preciousness that we think that we have and break it and pour it out at the feet of Jesus. And we ain't got anywhere at all. What do you think Jesus has invited you into? What journey do you think that you're walking Jesus enables us all to see how broken we are. And he enables us to see just how beautifully he wants to remake us. Just last Sunday night, we heard those last words of Jesus from the cross. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 46, as Jesus finally, he said with his last breath, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, There's an awful lot happening there. But one thing that's happening there is is a moment of reunion. Of how Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, is being reunited with his Father. They say, back with you, into your hands. It's a moment of reunion. But in this moment, Jesus is also making possible 
our reunion with our Creator, with a Father that we were estranged from, with a family that we'd separated, parted company with. And Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to be reunited with Him. Just for a moment, let's return to that road as Jesus walked with His disciples. Those who were confused, uh, you know, they, they really needed a reunion. They're, they're feeling so confused that they're actually separating themselves even further from everything that they once knew. Do you ever do that? You know, well, one thing goes wrong in your life. You seem to have this kind of self-destruct mechanism that compounds that. And you think, oh, well, I'll just separate off. I'll hide away. I'll disappear. And you find one thing leads to the next and the next, and all of a sudden you're spiraling downward and things can get very easily out of control. You know, these folks, they've seen Jesus be crucified and they've seen him be laid in a tomb. So their, their, their next decision is, let's go away from everybody else who was following Jesus. I don't know quite what they were thinking, how that would improve the situation. You know, we're desperate and we're hurting, so let's go away from everybody who might help us in this. It's human nature a bit, isn't it? Anybody else, when they're hurting, want to hide? Yeah. Do you ever kind of pull the duvet over your head and just disappear? It's this human nature. This is what they're up to. They're heading out, disappearing off into the distance. Jesus comes to them. Jesus will find you under your duvet. How do we meet with Jesus? Really meet with Jesus? Not having him kind of come alongside us. Not hearing the possibilities of journeying with Jesus, but really meet with him, really be changed by him, really start to journey with him. It's not by chance, and it's not solely, if I can say, by the grace of God. It was the grace of Jesus, risen and glorious, to come alongside these two confused disciples walking along the road. But there's still a possibility that they'll go away from that encounter unchanged. This is possible. Even though the one who inspired every single word in this book was preaching this book to them, they could still have gone away from that moment confused, lost, and alone. But something started to happen in their hearts. God started to deposit some faith in their hearts. God started to prompt some life to grow within them. And they used that faith, that life to say, will you please stay with us and talk with us some more? I am really ineloquently <laughs> opening up the possibility of life with Christ to you this evening. But as much as I can just show just a glimpse, as much as I can just kind of teach you just a handful of little truths, there's going to come a moment this evening and in the rest of your life where you've got to decide, are you going to say to Jesus, please, will you stay with me and open this up further? Greg did his best on Sunday night. It wasn't all that, but he did his best. Will you stay with me and will you make this be true and alive for me? That's what these disciples did. Read it in Luke 24 for yourself. You know, Jesus, the Bible says, made as if he was going to go on further. Night was drawing in. And these disciples said, will you come? It's getting dark. Stay with us. Eat supper with us. And so they did. And Jesus came with them into the place whether it was their home or a place along the way. And they sat down for dinner. 
and they talked some more. And they said, what we have encountered thus far, we want to stay with us. It's not just enough to encounter Jesus and then just carry on as nothing has happened. It's not enough to have you know, an exciting moment, whether it's in worshipping God or, or opening up the Bible or, or any of these things. You've got to kind of respond to these moments of encounter with saying, please, will you stay with me? Will you take this, 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 this partial thing that you've begun in me and will you make it true in my life for the rest of my life? Come on, I want to ask you this evening, is that your experience Or did you just walk with Jesus, hear a few things, and then go on about the rest of your life as though nothing had happened? Nothing will change in your life unless you bring an earnest entreaty to the Lord of all creation to stay with you. Say, Jesus, I'm recognizing my need of you. What I've experienced so far is is exciting me and my appetite is growing. Please would you stay with me? Please would you stay with me? Can I urge you with everything I've got tonight, would you say to Jesus, please stay with me? Please stay with me. Because we need Jesus. And they stayed and they ate and they talked some more. I want to ask you this evening, if you're not earnestly seeking Jesus, then did you hear him talking to you in the first place? Because I want to suggest tonight, if you've heard Jesus talking to you as you walk along the way, even just a little bit, and you're not interested in him staying with you, I have no idea what's going on. Because to hear Jesus speak to you is to have your life revolutionized. The only possible response, it seems to me, is to say, would you stay with me forever? Don't go. Oh, I need you. And when they invite Jesus to stay, he does something really profound. They haven't even recognized who he is so far, the story tells us. But they sit down to eat and, and then Jesus, it's just such a beautiful move. He takes up the bread and he breaks it. Um, so that's the thing that Jesus does. I, I don't know, we can't really know, can we? whether these couple of disciples were somewhere within the vicinity when Jesus did that the night before he was betrayed. We don't know. Maybe they were, or if they weren't present at that moment, maybe they heard about it afterwards that Jesus had instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, and maybe something is clicking together as Jesus breaks the bread. But it was pointed out to me as I was reading something this week that you break bread with your hands, don't you? You do it with your feet. I don't know. Uh, you generally, you break bread with your hands, don't you? And so if Jesus is breaking bread with his hands, this risen Jesus is breaking bread with hands that have been scarred by nails. Is he not? And can you see the scene? And, you know, you don't look at someone's hands when you're walking with them, do you? No. <laughs> you look where you're going. You might look at their face. Maybe they've just not seen this until this moment, but he breaks the bread and they're, is that, that looks like a, and on on the other also. And in a moment, the realization comes, their eyes are open, the Bible says, and they see him, they perceive him for who he is. 
earnest entreaty, followed by the act of communion, which Jesus has commanded for us. Are you prioritizing it in your life, in your experience? And in that moment, that moment of the evidence of the person of Jesus, everything starts to come alive. What is your response to seeing Jesus? It's such a weird kind of paradox in this story that they see Jesus and in the moment they realize what they're seeing, they don't see him anymore. He disappears. And it's like, what? That shouldn't be it, should it? In the moment that they really see Jesus, surely he should just be there and, you know, I don't know, glowing a bit or something and, and you know and everything should and there should be a music should start playing from somewhere isn't this is how we imagine it don't we with our kind of filmic imagination but no Jesus just goes he's gone from them this is real grace to us because we don't see Jesus either in this day and age He's not present with us physically so that we can see him with our eyes. So what they do can really teach us what we should do. Because they've earnestly entreated that Jesus should stay with them. They've become people who partake of communion, seeing the very reality of the person of Jesus at live within them. But then they don't see him. That's you. That's me. How do they respond? Well, having had this powerful and profound connection with God himself, this upward-motivating factor in their lives, the very next step for them is to stop going away from other believers, and it's to go and be part of God's family. Can I ask you this evening, what does your life look like? Is it marked and characterized by your investment in the people of God? Is tonight your only encounter with other Christians? Because if it is, you don't look like a disciple in these days, in these pages. Can I put it as bluntly as that? We're trying to, if, if, we're, if we're not investing ourselves in the community of Jesus after having encountered Jesus, then we're trying to do it a different way to what the Bible shows us. I don't know about you, but that, that, that rings alarm bells for me. If I'm trying to be a Christian in a different way to the Bible, I think maybe... I've got it wrong and not the Bible. Because the very next thing they do, even though it's late, even though they've had supper and they probably want to put their feet up and watch something on the telly, even though that's the case, they get up in that moment of Jesus disappearing and they run all those seven or so miles, all the way back. And, and you just imagine all the things that are playing in their mind, everything that Jesus has been saying to them along the way, all the things that they heard Jesus saying from the cross as they were being absolutely devastated, or the things that they heard secondhand, and all the things that Jesus had said leading up to that. And it's all coming together, and they're like, we've got to tell somebody. We've got to invest some of this truth in the lives of somebody else. If Jesus has come into your life, who are you telling about it? Who are you telling about the wonders of life with Christ? Come on. If your instant response to the encounter with Jesus isn't, how can I give somebody a really big Jesus hug? Then I'm not sure that you've been encountering the same Jesus as me. Don't worry, I'm not going to actually give you a hug. I saw a few of you genuinely start to move away there. You were like, don't come and get me. Come on. If you're not wanting to go and find somebody and say, I've encountered Jesus, he loves me and he loves you too. Then I wonder what kind of encounter are we saying we've had? Who's been breaking the bread for us? 
What hands have we looked at? They encounter God. They run back to the people of God. And they start to tell the story. What is the journey that Jesus speaks into being? You know, we, we often talk about these things within our church, the up, the in, and the out. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. We're seeing the journey that begins with being welcomed into the family of God through the person of Jesus Christ. If you've not yet begun there, you need to begin there. Tonight can be your night. When you begin being welcomed into the family of God, knowing him as your father, through Jesus Christ the Son, then you find that you have a family which, I mean, let's be honest, can sometimes be a a ragtag bag or a bit of a motley crew, but rather lovely as well. Because when we're looking at one another, we're seeing the work of Jesus in one another's lives. And it's not perfect. Well, his work is perfect, but we're not. But it's good. So we get to invest ourselves one in another and here's the wonder of it all. Because as we, as we do so, we start to be people who are proclaiming this glory in this world. You know, we've come here tonight. And part of our reason for gathering is to celebrate what God does through our transformed communities. And you know, We talk about these things week in, week out. Week in, week out. Week in, week out. Month in, month out. Year in, year out. And I I want to ask you again, as I would ask anybody who claims to be a part of this church, come on, what journey is it that you think Jesus has invited you into? Because for me, it's the journey of earnestly entreating God to stay with us, throwing ourselves fully into the community of faith and then telling that good news to anybody who'll stand still long enough. I don't want to be a part of any other journey. I don't want to simply do religious things. That was what that Pharisee who was calling out sinners was doing. He was doing religious things. I'm not interested. I don't want to be really good at pointing out the sinners in a room. Really? What value would that have? I don't want to be really good at pointing out the sinners on my Facebook feed. I mean, really? Do we need more Facebook Pharisees? I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm trademarking that. Do we? Christians, do we need more people with more religiosity? Or do we need some journeyman Christians? Do we need some folks who will earnestly entreat that God would be with them? And then because he's gracious and always will, then just go arm in arm and tell someone else about it. Because they can ask Jesus to stay with them And he will. And he'll turn their lives upside down like I hope and praise turned your life upside down too. Why does it matter what Jesus said from the cross? Because it takes my life from being utterly meaningless. And it gives me this journey of meaning and of hope. That please God just possibly might spark journeys of meaning and hope around me as well. Why does it matter what we hear from the lips of Jesus as he died? Because I'm running around in circles without it. 
I'm running around chasing to try and catch my own tail without it. I need someone to grab a hold of me and point me in a good direction. I don't think I'm the only one here like that. I really don't. We need Jesus to grab a hold of us and set us on a worthwhile journey, don't we? Come on, would you pray with me tonight?